Mikey, do you really want me to talk about the Arctic Coke machine right now? Yes. Tell me what the Arctic Coke machine is, because I saw the picture, but like, I don't understand. See, I haven't seen the picture. Okay, so you, there's only like two that exist in the United States. Okay. One is at like the Coke headquarters. Okay. And the other one is in Universal Studios, Orlando. <laughs> okay. But only in the annual pass holders lounge. Oh, okay. What? But this device works in such a way where you like you you choose like the drink you want and it can be like like in this case it had like Powerade bad choice. I don't know why you'd have that. Like Coke. Yeah, I'm looking at the Powerade. Um Sprite or whatever other Coke products and you pick it out and then you put it in this like machine that looks like a Coke freestyle machine but it isn't. And then you pull the little thing down and it like automatically like it like freezes it but in a way when you pull it out it's like a slushy oh so it's basically like the the milkshake machines that they have at like gas stations but for coke roundabout yes kinda it's i don't understand how it's different than the milkshake machine <laughs> it, you like you put it in this thing and it like sends a vibration through the you do that with coke? the milkshake machine I'm going to watch this video with this extremely royalty-free electronica in the background. Hold on. I got to show you all these milkshakes because apparently you don't have these milkshakes. I mean, I've just, I've seen them. Like it's the ones that ready select. Like you the ones that she thing. Yeah, yeah. No, it literally is. Yeah. By you this is... in our magical milkshake machine. <laughs> it, the, the steps are ready. Blue light should be illuminated at the top of the cooler. Select. Choose your favorite beverage. Tilt. Slowly tilt the beverage upside down, <laughs> then right side up. Place. Place the bottle in the stainless steel cup. Press. Press the red button. Enjoy. Remove cap and enjoy. For best results, replace cap after drinking. <laughs> oh, they are also in Speedway convenience stores in Indianapolis. The oh. Coke machines are the for reals. Oh, the Coke machines. Maybe both? I mean, the frills are pretty common. They've sponsored Warp Tour one year, and like <laughs> everywhere you went, you would just get these coupons for free for real milkshakes. And so all I ate that day was milkshakes. milkshakes. Fair. Wow, that's my favorite read story. Please note there must be water in the stainless steel cup in order for the machine to work. If slush does not form or you no longer wish to purchase the beverage, please return the unopened <laughs> package to the store associate. These units are specified for 20-ounce PET Coca-Cola products, but do not use cans or other products. <laughs> Could you imagine someone just put the whole can in the cup? <laughs> yes. Can you imagine someone getting a Pepsi out of the cooler? <laughs> I can't. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's it. But it won't work on a Pepsi because the carbonation is different or something. I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you, Super Cooler Technologies, for making this a reality. All right. And 
Welcome to The Young Ones, a podcast all about teen superhero teams and why we love them. My name is Charlie, and I use they, them pronouns. And I'm Mikey, and I use he, him pronouns. This is episode, episode 32, question mark? I'm just quantifying that with a question mark. We'll call it, we'll call it 32. We'll call, we're going to call it 32. And I guess this marks our triumphant return back from the um, wastelands of a semi-permanent hiatus. I won't say permanent. Uh, but a three-month hiatus where um, we did a Kickstarter, and it was uh, a lot. It was a lot of work, and I'm not... I mean, technically, we're still doing the Kickstarter. No. No, it's over. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> we still have to send things out. It can't out. hurt me anymore, Mikey. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> uh, you say that as you're getting ready to package up, like, hundreds of envelopes of books. Yeah, so, so. technically, it could hurt me in the form of very <laughs> real paper cuts and or... and or other things but i i'm laughing slightly because mikey and i are not alone on the show today for so for our triumphant return we have brought a guest with us so guest who's typing funny things in the discord channel and making me laugh why don't you introduce yourself (laughs) (laughs) it's uh hi i'm reed i use they them pronouns um I am the goofer in every Kickstarter no, Kickstarter campaign because all I <laughs> I do nothing. I just make jokes about it. Um, uh, yeah, I was asked to come on the show to talk about teens. I am not a teen, but I was one. <laughs> yes, we all have that in common. It's very good. Um. Uh, sorry. <laughs> um. I know that we had our our interlude. We tried to do this for three different recordings, and it's done really poorly every time. And now I'm just laughing about the Coke machines. Yeah, I need to read. (laughs) I know, I know that was our bit at the beginning, but I'm going to need to read you some more of these quotes. What we're trying to do is heighten the sensorial experience. Drucker said, "They're getting the same delicious Coke they know and love. We're just creating a visual effect that engages the consumer and engaging them in the process of crafting their beverage." The promise of having an icy cold Coke from the first sip to the last really resonates. <laughs> this is like a Munch Squad style <laughs> right? uh, promo. Druckers describes the finished product as a uniquely slushy drink. Frozen carbonated drinks are lighter and airier, she explains. The Arctic Coke experience is more like what you get from drinking a Coke in a cup with soft crushed ice. And the ice that forms is made of the liquid inside the bottle, so it doesn't dilute the drink. So it, it's really like the Coke people who designed this machine have never been to a gas station. Well, I mean, <laughs> like, I will give it lives. like freezing with carbonation is harder because um, it okay, changes like, like the freezing temp. just slurp down that Coke? Like who lets That's... their Coke sit for <laughs> hours? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but they, they got NASA engineers on it. So it's all good. <laughs> with expertise in... Cryogenics? Okay, so this this is how Alien the movie starts. Alien the movie starts with creating these Coke Arctic Coke machines, and then we work our way up to people, and then Coke ships us off to some unknown planet in search of like the holy grail of Coca-Cola. Are you saying that Coke is Whalen Utani? Yes. Are you saying that Coke is Whalen Utani? Okay. 
Okay. Oh god, I hate this so much. We've gone wildly <laughs> off topic, everyone. Um, that's, that's, that's every. That's, that they should expect that at this point. I feel like. Yeah, that's par for the course. But read here. Yeah, when I'm not expressing horror over the concept of rich people having never been inside a gas station, <laughs> I care about Scott Summers and Matt Murdock, who look exactly the same. Yes, that's about it. That's all I do, really. I mean, Reed also does um, other things. Yeah. Some of which you'll be able to see soon. Yeah, I do some things with Charlie and um, my wife, Sam. We have a newsletter substack thing called The Poll. You can find us on social media at It's The Poll. And we, every week, are going to tell you what comic books we are picking up and what ones you should probably pick up because we have the best taste, objectively. Mm-hmm. Objectively. Like, that's just a fact. We have mm-hmm. the best taste. And, it you is. know, you want to learn from the best. It's true. I mean, everybody's entitled to their incorrect opinion, Reed, um, but we won't be giving you ours because um, our opinions are right. But regardless, we wanted Reed to come on the show to talk about something that they very much enjoy, which is the. Okay, this is volume one of Champions. Maybe this uh, is volume two. I think this yeah. is volume two. I think um, if you're going by trades it's probably volume two unless there was a another champion no it's it's volume two is it really it's volume two because the original champions like the original 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 champions with like bobby drake was like the first i guess the first volume of champions you're right you're right okay I think not only did i forget about that but bobby probably also (laughs) forgot about it oh yes (laughs) Um, yeah, so apparently I am here to talk about Volume 2 of Champions. I confused everyone earlier by saying that we were going to be talking about Volume 1 because it's, it's no the, one in comics knows how to label things. No, it's not the 2016 all. Champions. Yeah, yeah, the one with Mark Wade that was like, basically every issue was a very special episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know... Who uh who did this comic other than Mr. Wade? <laughs> well, Mr. Mark Wade did write this comic, uh, but Humberto Ramos penciled the comic. So he was the artist. And um as as we attempted to talk about several other times previously, did a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like the book because he like all the characters look like teens, which I mean, we all have read comic books. <laughs> We know that that's apparently too much to ask of most people. Uh, as seasoned teen, uh, teen experts like Mikey and myself, that is very yeah. true. <laughs> yeah, especially when they're drawn um, in. Can't remember the artist now, so never it's mind. It's probably better that way. It's yeah, probably better. There's a lot of people that don't know how to draw teens, teens or babies. A lot babies in marvel comics end up looking like those renaissance like pre-renaissance babies like you know what i'm talking about where they just look like small men yeah 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 Yeah. or or weird cats yeah yeah there's a lot of that in comics too yeah there are luckily no babies in this that's very true (laughs) as far as i remember no i didn't see any babies (laughs) no babies that's my rating of this book zero out of (laughs) ten babies zero out of ten babies no babies (laughs) Um, the only issue that I really, like, have with Ramos's illustration is that, um, the sort of, I guess, 
antagonists of the team champions, the freelancers who are basically just scabs. Um, they're the only like people with body diversity other than like Hulk. I guess I should probably tell you who's on this team, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. go for it. And while yeah. you're and while you're at it, Reed, why don't you give us a little bit of a synopsis? Of a synopsis? Okay. Um 2016 was a bad year and Mark Wade decided that uh Mark Wade and Marvel decided that they should write a comic about teens who care about social issues, which is like on service level, cool. The lineup was Miss Marvel, uh Spider-Man, Miles, Spider-Man, because there are no other Spider-Mans. I'm sorry. It's just facts again. I only speak the truth. Um, Nova. Hulk, who was totally awesome Hulk, I think. Yes. Not Bruce Banner, but uh but Ad Amadeus. Amadeus, I don't I don't know how to say words. Like Beethoven. Yeah, you're you're assuming that I have heard people talk about Beethoven in my life. That's fair. <laughs> I did not see that movie. <laughs> it's fine. Um, Amadeus Cho, Viv Vision, and Cyclops. Uh who is also known as my son, Scott Summers. Uh, Time displaced original five, Scott yes. Summers. Teen, teen Scott for this teen team. Yes. And, um, and it was the champions, this incarnation of the champions formed out of Civil War II, which is, I guess, objectively the only good thing that came out of Civil War II, because... Yeah. Yeah. Civil War 2 is bad. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, so they were a group of kids that, you know, wanted to change the world because institutional systems suck. And they did okay. (laughs) Not Uh, great, uh, but they did okay. And they they were just trying their best. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, the issue being that the book is written by Mark Wade, who is a cis white dude and you know ultimately you can't you can't really tell great stories about marginalized people when uh you are not one of those people yeah and i think that's i think that's primarily where it's it falls really short is yeah it's extremely obvious that it's like at times extremely heavy-handed with what it's trying to say um, and also mm-hmm. it's like how do you do fellow kids yeah 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 there's there's like moments where it gets it really like bang on and then there's moments that are really really how do you do fellow kids <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um and like ramos does a really good job of drawing them to look like teens but the only everyone is skinny yeah except for two people on the freelancers and it's like what? Yeah, what? and Amadeus when he's in Hulk form. Like, Ramos, well, yeah, yeah, the Ramos, Hulk is not skinny. Yeah, <laughs> it, it'd be bad if you had a skinny Hulk, but Ramos is, like, really, he likes to draw people with, like, really long limbs, like. Mm-hmm. Which works for, like, Scott, but not really anyone else, I think. Yeah, like, Ramos has come a long way, I think, since drawing the tail end of the original run of The Runaways, which is where I first became familiar with him and i think like the first marvel book that he drew maybe um yeah because i don't i don't think he drew anything before that or at least i it was not on my radar but he draws like 
if you took like 90s comics and ran them through like a clamp manga filter <laughs> like everybody has really long limbs and like really long like graceful limbs and then they're like he does like facial deformations and stuff for you know like comedic effect which i think is really really strong but body diversity is at least in the main characters is not something he tends to draw unfortunately even in the background like there aren't a lot of fat people and like i i think i'm just hyper aware of this because like my wife is a fat scholar and a fat activist and so like it's something that i think about a lot Mm -hmm. by sheer virtue of like Having been, we she runs a magazine called Fat Venture, and it's for fat women and non-binary people who want to be in the outdoors and like don't want to do diet culture stuff because it's gross and it's shit. But so it's something that's like constantly talked about in my house. So like I think I just tend to scan for it really easily, um, and like it bothered me a lot more on reread than it did with my initial read, mostly because like. Yeah, the kids look like kids in their faces, but then you think, like, no child should be that skinny. And, like, I feel bad <laughs> for yeah. these kids. They do look a little, like, they do it sometimes look a little um, emaciated. Like, yeah. Like, Ramos is, is the only other artist that, like, I, I think about when I think about him and I think he's a little more polished is his art a little bit reminds me of um Gerardo Sandoval's art yeah um, yeah what has he drawn I know the name but I can't he draws all like... the flashback parts in Shatterstar Sandoval was the oh, person I was trying to think of earlier that's okay, really bad about okay. making kids look like kids yeah okay yeah 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 um yeah I mean I bring up that I think he's doing some of his best work in the flashback parts of the Shatterstar mini. Yeah. But also, um, but also if that's your best, um, but also he um, did some really good work on Venom actually. Um, Oh, okay. But like, it's, it's a weird, like very like manga, like Shonen jump take on Venom, which isn't a bad thing at all. It's just like his messiness works for that there when he's drawing like evil, criminal like underworld people and like symbiotes yeah <laughs> yeah yeah he also draws star with like uh like hella facial most, hair and yeah. like also like starts to be like because he's drawing like berserk like that's true that's true that's true like that's uh, it it's definitely like manga inspired in that way teens that don't look like teens yeah Shatter star mini yeah <laughs> that, that that boy can't be older than 16 years old um which says a lot of things about a lot of things but um in any case we're not talking about that get off that train in any case we're here to talk about these we're not these here for the meat children. we're here for the teens <laughs> <laughs> um i will say that like i do really dig the the design on everyone's costumes in champions mostly because i unironically love 92 jim lee scott's costume yeah i mean valid (laughs) you can see i i came to this conclusion on the bus thinking about this today and it's because you can see his hair yeah yeah like when he doesn't look like he's wearing a human condom it's like great yeah, that was a bad design. I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say that. 
Oh, the uh, Bendis era Cyclops? Yeah, not, I mean, not a fan. Not Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of, like, 60s Cyclops. Like, anything that you can't, like, see his hair just doesn't work for me. Yeah. You know, now that I think about it, it's funny that we mentioned Bendis, because the person responsible for those costumes actually, like, has a lot of the same problems drawing kids in his art. Like, as much as I love... um. Now my brain is completely blanking. Are you talking about Chris Bacalo? Yeah, Chris Bacalo. As much as I love Chris Bacalo, he also has the thing where everyone's like skinny and incredibly long-limbed. I don't agree. Gold Balls appears in Bendis Suncanny. And like that's generally body diversity than the team's seen in a long time. Yeah, I just mean like stylistically, like on on the whole. um, And I don't know, did he draw... Was he the one that was drawing the group with gold balls in it, or was it Chris yes, Anka? Yes. Okay. It, it was not Chris Anka. Okay. Yeah. It was yeah. Chris. Yeah. Like. Yeah. But Bacalo is also like I think he does like he has some of those same tendencies, but he tends to be better about body diversity. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I think. I think. I do see a dis. Like. I, I know my words. I do see similarities between their art, and I think it's more just the way that he renders. Like the way that they both render sh- like the human figure as geometry first and then people, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Like yep. they're mostly just rec- recognizable shapes with people details attached. And like I I like that. It doesn't work in every comic. No. But like I like it with these kids, and I I really like his art on Bendis's X-Men. I know that that's like not always super popular. Oh, I I I say I, I you know what? The Bendis era of X Men, I really liked it. Um, that's it's a- my favorite era. Yeah, mm, sorry. Yeah, like, I mean, and I don't mean to put ba- down Bacala's art at all. No, I just no, mean no. to I say, don't like, think that you are. Yeah, I just mean to say, like, I think Bacala is someone that has a like similar tendencies. Like, it's definitely like a style to a certain extent when it comes to like teen comics in marvel but i think bacalo probably pulls it off like but just as someone that like absolutely hated how ramos drew like the runaways back in the day and like body diversity was like absolutely not a thing in there except when he drew jay and silent bob as like a one panel cameo like ramos has come a long way since like geez was that like 2006 i think so it's like 10 years yikes 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 yikes. time Um, yeah but yeah this i we kind of talked like a little bit not today but like previously (laughs) previously on last time on um that you won't get to hear we talked a little bit about how um this book is a little hard to like read if you read comics to get away from the things that happen every day yeah yeah it's very um because of the the very special because of the very special episode nature of the comic it's very much like here is the upsetting news thing that we're talking about this week and that doesn't work for everyone it's something that works for me personally like i tend to gravitate towards stories that deal with social issues that like I directly care about um but like I obviously understand that that's not 
ideal for everyone and like your mileage may vary on like what is upsetting and what isn't but I also think that like there's a lot of value in having a kid-friendly comic book that deals with these topics yeah Mm -hmm. um mostly because it like for me like I think a lot about how I started reading comics and I started reading comics when I was eight after seeing the 2003 Daredevil film (laughs) and I was reading Daredevil comics and like I have distinct memories of like I came into Daredevil comics right around the time that like everyone was trying to get rid of their copies of Guardian Devil, which is like objectively the worst Daredevil story that's ever been published. (laughs) And like, I distinctly remember like being pulled away from the issues where Kevin Smith like decides that Karen Page should have HIV because she was a sex worker. Oof. Yeah, it's like, it's really, it's really rough. It's not a good, it's a bad comic. Um, But, so like having a a venue for like kids that want to read comics, but like if you are an adult in their life and like want to have conversations with them about like what's going on in the news, Champions is like a great vessel to do that with, I think, personally. Yeah. yeah, and and yeah. it's funny because the comics that we've come from previously on this podcast all have been steeped in so much of the years that they were created. Um <laughs> and I think to this to this comics credit, it does not talk about teens and or drug addiction. <laughs> like thank, that's true. Yeah, thank the sweet Jesus. Um <laughs> And it's one does content not... warning we don't have to put on this episode. Yes. Um, and it doesn't talk about um some of those young Avengers issues were just um like they were just cringy. Like everything with Eli and the in this in the super soldiers, like the MGH and like all of that, like it just it, it was very of its time. And so for someone that's guesting on a podcast about teen comics, I realized after you had asked me if I wanted to come on that I haven't actually read like any teen comics other than the 05 X-Men comics and Champions. Oh, wow. I don't think that's a bad amount to pick, though, honestly. I don't. I, it's, I, it's not, but I read them all because I was like chasing consistent Scott Summers characterization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, like, I really have very little experience with teen comics. I mean, I know about, like, the fact that talking about drugs is, like, the go-to sort of story with teen comics and narratives, but, like, I've never read Runaways, I've never read Young Avengers. Like, it's just never been something that I've touched. Largely because I don't generally gravitate towards stories about teens i think because i hated being a teen so much (laughs) and i think that that i think it's all about when you come upon these comics right like we all read comics for first for similar but like it's also different reasons like you know i got into x-men comics because i watched x-men first class and i loved the movie so much um and then i started reading comics and i was like hey this is different um because that's how my life is 
Um, and when I started yeah. reading comics, I, you know, picked up where they launched it, relaunched at that point, which just happened to be the Bendis relaunch of the X-Books after AVX. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I came... Think... Oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead, Mikey, please. I was going to say, like, I started getting into comics around like 2006 2007 2008 and i was really into or like my my friends kind of got me into runaways because it's like hey there's like an explicit like lesbian couple in here or like like queer couple let's say and then like young avengers like they're actually gay no really they're actually gay and like consistently and like it wasn't it's maybe not like the best thing now or like looking back on it like but as they were we so groundbreaking yeah like. yeah absolutely and, and they were written by an op- an openly gay man like yeah and and the time the time that i was in was like trying to f- sift through my identity and like figure out who i was and you know i was a teenager like late teens but yeah. still a teenager so like you know, having those come out and reading them when I was like 16, 17, 18 was like, it, I, I felt like I was like, oh, like I can relate to some of this because like this is not dissimilar from how I feel. And, you I know, think- I just kind of didn't ignore the like drug stuff or like other problematic stuff about it. But that was like secondary to what I was reading it for at the time. Well, and, like, I specifically, like, with the MGH stuff, I was encountering that at a similar point in time, just from a totally different end, because I was reading Bendis Daredevil, mm-hmm. and Bendis Daredevil, like, the MGH stuff is a street-level plot, but he's dealing with, like, the owl and, like, the fall, uh, like the kingpin and all these people who are moving the drugs, as opposed to, like, actually experiencing what happens when the drugs are taken and so that's kind of interesting to like think about yeah it was like the plot device if you had like street level criminals at yeah. that time which is not great yeah <laughs> well, MG- mgh has gone away um for right now right now at least it's gone yeah yeah but i also think too that like a lot of because most people that i like know that have read the team books are in similar sort of shoes as you mikey and i think Part of it is because I totally understand that search for representation and like wanting to see yourself in a comic book. But the issue that I've always run into is that the stories that I want to read are not stories that people want to tell about gay people Mm. or trans people or any sort of other marginality because I like I. um, So I know you both through the Jay Miles Explain Discord and I am pretty much at least once a week saying something to the effect of I don't like campy daredevil because I like sort of the the grimdark daredevil which is not sort of a thing that people tend to say when if you look at like the list of things that I am or like that I identify with like being queer and trans and all this other stuff is like we tend as a community I think we all tend to push away from the grimdark but like those are the stories that I love and people don't want to put gay people in those stories because so often we're the victims of violence in those stories. And like, what's interesting to me is what happens like 
in those universes and in those stories after the violence mm-hmm. and like the trauma recovery or like and sort of how we move through those spaces as traumatized people yeah and like i think to bring it back full circle to champions like that's why i enjoyed the series so much because we got to see the fallout of like scott's life with the x-men and that was so gratifying because i don't i have not other than the bendis x-men with adult scott i have never seen any sort of like space given to scott's feelings at all yeah Yeah. and i i do think like i personally like i love i think that's part of why i like warren ellis's stuff so much um because he's able to get into like the emotional depths of people um in some of his stories like the authority but like have that darkness but also provide room for agency because like that's definitely something i gravitate towards like i talked about playing like sad assassin like trans boys in role-playing games but it's like it's so rare to see it like handled well in media at all totally and like one of our previous attempts at recording this episode we talked about Warren Ellis's comics and um one of the first comics that I ever read outside of Daredevil was Transmetropolitan and it's such a it's one of those things again where like if you have a hard time with fiction that deals with topical issues Transmet isn't a comic that I would ever recommend to anyone um but it's essentially about a journalist taking down a fascist empire, but it also manages to be extremely funny and like extremely deft at navigating, um, the violence that we all face at the hands of the state, the violence of poverty, the violence of media as a concept and like, and how women move through spaces and how queer people move through spaces. It's like, it's really good. And there's so much crammed into one, what is essentially very contained story. Yeah. But like, it's everything that I've ever wanted from a comic, except for the fact that like, it's ultimately about a straight cis white man. Yeah. And I think like part of that, like part of that is the problem of representation, right? Like there's not enough. So we end up seeing mostly things that are like the era that like young avengers originally came out it was like just honestly probably a struggle to get anything about a queer couple on the page at all in any kind of respect so it was all like very light and fluffy in terms of like it was well, yeah, because you have to play the two-edged sort of, like, first of all, if you're being the only people that are representing this community, you like, if you're a person that cares, you want nothing bad to happen yeah. to those people because you don't want to, uh, like, you don't want to fall into the same traps that, like, 
say Buffy fell into or whatever. Right. You um, don't want the queer death or like being queer is bad. The other end of that is that like you have to to try and get a company like Marvel to put out a story about a group that it historically has never wanted to represent. You have to like make them the ideal people like they have to be perfect Mm -hmm. and that i think also significantly limits our storytelling because when you look at like queer couples in marvel or even dc compared to queer couples that we see on independent lines like image or black mask like the stories that are told there are so wildly different yeah it's it's the like having to have perfect representation because there's so little of it or like universal representation and the fans don't help in that yeah. regard either um it it's and i think i honestly i think that like that first like the fact that billy and teddy's relationship was like it was in the first volume of young avengers i mean it follows them around like and that's yeah like teddy really... isn't even really his own person he just is this ideal of a good boyfriend which they did try and tackle a little bit in the badly. second volume. Uh, badly. Um, Sorry, I'm like, so. that's my my thing. Because Teddy was like the character I identified with for a long time. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, poorly in Young Avengers Volume 2. I mean, they tried to do that. The best person that's done that, though, is Al Ewing and his new, and his, um, new Avengers. Um, yeah, weirdly enough. But weirdly enough. But. To, get, to get back to it, like... Um, since we had a f- original failed recording, I did get to a chance to like read through more what they did with Viv. And yeah, I actually really like what they did with her. So like, yeah. there, there's a lot of dynamics going on that I think champions plays with very interestingly, especially the dynamics of it, it tries, but do- doesn't always stick the landing, but it tries very hard and very earnestly to tackle oppression and social justice and like the intersections thereof well and yeah and the thing with Viv that we talked about last time is that I couldn't figure out if um Amandeus's reaction to Viv coming out was like poorly written or just so on the nose of how people react when you come out yeah that I didn't like it because I hate it when people do that. And sort of what happens is that Amadeus and Viv kiss in like the second issue because she's never kissed anyone. And then like 10 or 11 issues later, she says to him that she thought about their kiss and that she has no attraction to boys. And he's like, oh, well, now the only thing that I'm like excited for is for you to be happy. And it's like, very well meaning, but so yeah. annoying. Well, and, 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 most meaningfully so she had like shut off in the vision comic her mom and her younger question mark i mean technically same they're all created at the same time but meant to be younger brother like both died so she like turned off her emotions or suppressed them and so she says like um I apologize. Since the deaths in my family, I have endeavored to cope by suppressing my emotions. Perhaps it is time I reasserted them. And so on the tail of that, Amadeus literally like cannonballs Kool-Aid man's in, sits on the futon and 
in which she and Scott have been having this very earnest conversation about emotions and how they deal with them. Um, and so then he's kind of like, what you talking about? Well, yeah, and that's, I mean, I also, I guess that's also an element of the team dynamic that I appreciate that, like, on the day this is this, this like, really, ner- like, smart jock. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually really <laughs> Surrounded good. Surrounded by all of these very, like, socially uncomfortable in different ways people. Yeah. And I, yeah. and I do, I do, um, like, I talked before about how I think, like, Viv is, like, one of the most interesting, like, members of the team and not necessarily in general but like the way that they're interpreted like in this book um because like i know we talked previously about how miles suffers a lot in this book um yeah, yeah. miles is my i i was really just dis- i was most disappointed in the treatment of miles because he you know is a genius in his own right and that's just kind of like glossed over in this book in favor of everyone else which is really unfortunate when you consider like who he is and how land breaking or earth shattering at what are land words? breaking and earth shattering yes <laughs> shut up land breaking ocean shattering yes. <laughs> shatter starring um his Star appearance was in in comics in general as like in ultimates like the only spider-man um an afro-latinx genius who is also spider-man is yeah. massively important and yeah like, and that's just kind of glossed over in a lot of ways yep. like he also wears the mask 90 percent of time, the time yeah in this book is another thing that um i don't think i caught on to before but now like reading through it i'm like we hardly ever see him without the mask which is an- i mean i think it might be dealt with a little later on that like both nova and miles don't reveal their identities like Amadeus does. Yeah. And like Kamala's identity being a secret, which that's, I guess, another weird thing that I have with the art is that Kamala, like, I don't get how Kamala has a secret identity. Yeah, me neither. Because she's so recognizable. Yeah. Like, she barely has a mask. It looks mostly like she's wearing, like, she has a Felicia Hardy mask. That's what yeah. she has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but that is, that does come up a little bit later in the comics. Miles doesn't get more like, personality but there is like discussion of secret identities and whatever yeah i guess later on the secret identity thing makes sense and would make sense why it's just like because we are always seeing them together and rarely seeing them apart unless you're viv apparently um like the side effect of that is that we don't get to see like we only see spider-man we don't see that much miles morales yeah there yeah that, that's really the yeah. difference um and like he's well, got no distinct voice everyone, everyone sort of gets like their own sort of very special introductions or whatever mm-hmm. except sort of for miles I think. yeah he just kind of shows up one day um when, oh, when he's the focus of the he's the focus of the the shooting issue yes. though oh okay yeah. So like that's why I'm I think think, that's, that's after why I'm thinking yeah. what we read for this podcast. Yeah. It's after Scott leaves, so like it's a it's a decent issue and like I think it's a good conversation starter again for kids about like school shootings, but Scott's not in it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and <laughs> I, and there are just some there are just some things that like I also talked about like previously in regards to like, the book tries to be, like, this one thing, but then it still has to be a comic book. So, like, you get these, like, 
tonal differences and then you get like some sort of like some like okay so this is like what we're doing and this is you know we're fighting for social justice and we're like trying to make the world a better place like our own way and then the gwenpool shows up and you're like excuse me what god the gwenpool episode was so rough or episode (laughs) it seemed like an episode of a cartoon it's like two yeah, or but, three issues and it's so exhausting yeah it's not a good really way bad. to highlight that character and i honestly don't want to read any more about her yeah like if I... that was the only gwenpool i read i would never want to have anything to do with her ever again it is the only gwenpool i've read and i can testify that yeah it makes me like absolutely not interested in gwenpool yeah yeah well, like, i'm sorry i've read two issues of west coast adventures i didn't enjoy it and the same issues I have with Gwen there, I have here. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like, the, the conceit of that whole issue is that there's, like, this count, a corrupt police force. Yeah, that and... is doing hate crimes and totally just, in a way that's not dissimilar from, like, the way that real people were doing that in, like, Arizona and stuff like that of like hurting homeless people like hurt hurting as in harming but also hurting homeless people and setting fire to churches that were supportive of gay people and so on and so forth like real life shit and so gwenpool crashes in and that's her like there's hangers on that are brought into random episode or I did it again. Issues of <laughs> champions. Um, and so that's Gwenpool is there for a couple issues. And she's like, you know, I'm from an alternate universe where all of you are from a comic book. And so I know exactly what's going on here. Like I'm genre savvy. I'm, I'm savvy. I know things. Um, and these people like there's stuff in the water that's making them do what they're doing. And Kamala's like, no, it's, it's just, they're shitty people. Like they don't need a reason to, um, you know, hurt marginalized and oppressed people and like use institutional power against us. And Gwenpool's like, no, there's like an evil wizard or secret corporation. And it could have been a teaching like, moment, right? Yeah. And it's especially shitty because it's a white woman saying that to a woman of color. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think that, I think that Gwenpool and that whole interaction could have been very cleverly done to be about, like, white feminism, but it wasn't, yeah. and it isn't. Yeah, like, it, it's trying to hit something, and it super misses the mark in a way that is uncomfortable to read. Mm-hmm. My like, general feeling And not in, like, a any... good uncomfortable. Yeah, no, it's not good. My general feeling reading any Marvel comic is, like, if this was perhaps edited at least by someone who's not a cis white dude yeah it would be so much better yeah because like that's the thing right is like there are absolutely people that have those kinds of attitudes but like well yeah basically the the energy that it reminds like when gwenpool's and like existence in champions reminds me of is like the people who only tweet about harry potter when like human rights violations happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, like, that could have been really clever, but it didn't happen. And, like... Or the or the people that accept, like, J.K. Rowling's, like, misplaced um, word of God, like, really shitty brand of representation as representation is, like... Mm-hmm. And then, like, try to bend 
head over heel backwards to like explain when JK misses the mark as she does like <laughs> constantly. Yeah. Um and it's like and and like I think what would have helped is literally like Kamala being just like, no, we're not gonna talk to you. Like you are not a part of this team and like literally deplatforming this shitty attitude. But that doesn't happen. Yeah. Champions is a good series that is ruined by <laughs> events and editorial mandates. <laughs> I mean, as so often is the case. Uh, and also, I think just like a white cis dude writing it, thinking yeah. that he knows what he's doing when like and and trying his best from his perspective, but really, really needed some marginalized people to do sensitivity edits. Yeah, on, when on the we work. went back and looked at it, I, we were also talking about the um, the issue where they go to what Charizard. I now- yeah which is first of all when i went to look up this fake country that they go to's name which is like charizard they so bad drawn it's drawn and written as if they're in a middle eastern country but the text in the official like the initial message about it says that it's a south asian country what yeah yeah as far as i understand like pakistan is basically on the border because of how yeah it's like, on the border imp- with india yeah yeah but i think even calling it that though is like definitely a misstep right i mean granted i am totally going to own like me being white but at the very least like from what i understand about the Pakistani Indian border the the land and like the actual geography and climate is not desert which is what we see in the comic mm-hmm. yeah so like it's it's, it's, it's weird coded as middle eastern yeah and again like i feel hey i kind of feel like i know what they're trying to do there but honestly, I feel like that should not have happened without like significant sensitivity editing. Yeah, the the yeah. there's so much that happens like that you're like, I see what you're doing, but you don't pull it off. And I think yeah, I, like, I yeah. think that's exhausting when you're reading a comic book. It's exhausting when you're reading a comic and like I I am the fact that like as a white person, like even I'm like oh, this is exhausting, like, makes me wonder, like... How, how much more it is for someone who's not? Yeah. 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 And, like, I will say that the, the 2019 Champions, there is an Inuit character, and they've had consulting and sensitivity reading, so I'm hoping that, like, that continues on an upward path from this yeah. criticism that we're giving it Which, now. Which, notably, is a totally different creative team. Um, It's Jim Zeb, yeah. not Mark Wade, um, and different art as well. And from what I've been reading it, um i i have enjoyed what i have read of that um which has largely been like the fantasy the dnd like the D&D crossover yeah, made, the, when they D&D made amadeus a hot work <laughs> yeah. um but yeah like it's it's honestly something that like i again i understand what mark wade is trying to do but 
it's one of those things where I would have, I really wish someone, some editor would have come in and like literally anyone would have pumped the brakes and been like, hey, what if, what we if don't we, do but what this? what if we didn't do this? Um. Yeah. And like, I think probably the worst thing about the Charizard stuff to me is they name drop Malala. And yeah, I was like, and then like do this really weird, ill-conceived thing about like women's rights in this like terrorist coded organization and they like don't know what headscarves to call yeah it's 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 really really clumsy and like it's i think it's the run's weakest issue probably yeah yeah um mostly also because like the name dropping mala is like really clunkily written yeah (laughs) yep sure is and like it just i almost wonder if the series would have been more interesting or better handled if it was like a different writer handled each issue like because obviously mark wade had like this agenda of like these are the topics i want to talk about right and so if he brought in like a co-writer or something from each of that had experience with each of those issues it could have been a lot more interesting Yeah. But again, like, I kind of have to wonder if, like, because, like, if someone came to me and was like, I want to do X, like, I always go back to, like, it's not a perfect analog. Like, I can never understand what it's like to be um, someone who is not white, right? But, like, Mm -hmm. what I go back to is, like, how would I feel if someone came to me with, like, a completed, like, comic arc featuring trans stuff that was just completely yucky, right? And is like, hey, like, you want me to review this? Um, like, even if you have a co-writer that's experienced in those kind of things, like, you're still requiring them to put the emotional energy to tell you no every time. So, like, I mean, Tim, I mean, it's just like maybe there's a just lot like a that should have happened. Either were, yeah, a whole lot of different things should have happened. But like, I mean, what I mean when I say that is also like, first of all everyone has their own like different comfort level of like correcting people or whatever. But also like just the way that I understand that comics are written is like you have the general like script, but then the, it gets finer tuned. And so like, it's one thing if someone hands you like this whole novel of like, here's everything that I think is true about your experience, but you have to tell me no now versus like, here are the things that I want to address. And then you get the chance to be like, okay, I how think should I, I should be yeah, How should I go about this? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So why don't we talk about, we've talked a lot about, like, various criticisms and thoughts on the various topics um, Champions handles. Why don't we talk, especially you, Reed, about, like, what, what's, what do you really like about this comic? Let's like, where does Scott it shine? Summers. Let's talk about Scott Summers. <laughs> yeah, let's, I mean, I also feel like I should preface this with um, saying the thing that I usually say when I talk about media with people is that I actually really, really enjoy, like picking it apart and i understand that that's not super common for everyone but like i generally don't know how to like things without also equally hating it oh i mean big same <laughs> i just like we've spent a lot no, of no, time no, picking things apart and i want to make sure today. we get to the yeah yeah i, I want to make sure we get to just, the good part <laughs> i'm just trying to make sure that the listeners at home like know that i'm not just like i don't want people in my mentions being like why do you hate mark wade because i don't hate mark wade i just generally feel ambivalent when he tries to do social issues (laughs) (laughs) um but so what i so we talked about 
the art and how I like that everyone looks, like, young. And Wade's dialogue can be really clunky, but sometimes it, like, does things really, really well. Like, there's an issue that opens with the champions all watching TV, and, like, they don't say what they're watching because royalties and rights and all that crap, but they make oblique references to it being Avatar The Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. And, like, I grew up loving Avatar The Last Airbender, so it felt really... I felt hashtag scene. Yeah. <laughs> because they're, like, sitting there singing the Tunnel Lovers song, talking about the Cabbage Man. Um, but I think that the highlight of the series for me is is Scott, because it's... I really like it when characters are taken outside of their comfort zone because it allows you to sort of learn about what is actually the core of the character. Um, Like, I think the only way I know how to properly explain this is if I were to talk about fanfic and um, I, something that I try to do when I write fic is actually incorporate lines of dialogue from the original media into the like story that I'm writing because then that I know that if those lines of dialogue work and come off then I know that I'm sticking to the core of the character and I think that um when you take a character out of a situation that they're super comfortable in or that they've always been in you start to see like what stays the same and what changes and so it's really a neat dive into Scott's character because He's so defined by his experience with the X-Men and like there's a lot of growing pains in the start of the comic with the team doesn't trust Scott because of adult Scott's problems and then all Scott does is talk about the X-Men and it just like, I don't know, as someone who grew up not doing well socially, um, it's kind of really validating to see someone else struggle in very similar ways. Yeah. Um, And, like, I almost, I was thinking about this when, um, Mikey, you brought up the conversation that Viv and Scott were having on the couch about, like, emotions and how they deal with them. And, like, I'm now really sad that Scott didn't talk to Viv about Alex and about his family because like Viv was probably the one person that could understand that. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of fanfic, um I'm I'm smelling like someone needs to write a fix it fic here. <laughs> the the AU where Amadeus Cho didn't crash in the couch like freaking Kool-Aid man and <laughs> throw down some popcorn and they actually got to talk about um losing your brother yeah yeah that would be because because there was like they were like on the precipice of that and then it's like amadeus and all of his heterosexual feelings show up yeah 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 well and like i teen scott is so interesting because ultimately there's the other problem of we don't know what Scott knows because so much of his young childhood is 
either lost to brain damage or telepathic tampering. Mm -hmm. And, like, in... Jean gets to, like, learn everything that she was denied knowing in the Silver Age, but we never find out if Scott is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that kind of pisses me off. Um, Mostly because I think that there's a good opportunity for stories there. Yeah. uh, LOL. (laughs) And I think... But I do think that the issue that does a deep dive into Scott's character best is issue 12, which is when Scott gets, like, basically hit by some sort of... It's really fanfic. It's like he a gets feelings by, beam? Yeah, he gets hit by a feelings beam, and then he feels all his feelings. Or, like, or he can't stop talking about his feelings. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's not allowed to internalize things anymore. He has to externalize them. Yeah, and, like, it's just... So I took a bunch of screenshots from this issue because it's my favorite and just I can't even like describe the things that Scott says without directly quoting them. If you want to go <laughs> because for they're it. So oh I'm gonna. They're so sad and like adorable. <laughs> um at one point he says, I really love it when you guys call me slim. It's cool. Nicknames make me feel like I'm being paid attention to. And so <laughs> Aww. Like, it's so sad. But then you also, like, can't help but have this moment of, like, joy for him because he's getting to have this experience that he doesn't get to have, whether that's talking about his emotions or, like, being in a group of people that are, I think, personally, a lot more committed to validating him than the other X-Men are. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, like, Jean loves him, but, like, first of all, they're teens. Second of all, Jean has all these memories of loving Scott. Yeah. That aren't lived experience. And, like, and the whole point, I think, in the end of, like, the original Five X-Men being back in the present timeline is that they sort of drifted apart because they were allowed to explore other parts of themselves. Yeah. Which is good and interesting and I think necessary in a way. But Yeah. Like, like Scott's Go ahead. I was gonna say, like, I think it's it's in a perfect world, Scott bouncing between all of these teams and all of these groups of people and trying to find himself would have led to a really interesting, fulfilling version of Scott. And there's definitely like glimpses of it that all of these different books got to, but none of them really followed through on that promise, like, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, they they really didn't. And I think that, like, a lot of that comes from the fact that people don't know what to do with Scott Summers, Mm -hmm. especially after the Bendis run of X-Men. And it's super frustrating because... Like, it's not that he's boring, nor that it is that he went crazy. Like, it's just this is what happens to people after decades of trauma and marginalization. And, like, the fact that 
large swaths of people found him completely uninteresting or unrelatable or evil because of that is sad and frustrating and like I am really curious to see what happens with Uncanny yeah. because of that. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. I mean, Alex is going to be there. We'll see. Alex is going to be there. I'm. Yeah, I'm. Those summers, boys. Yeah, and Logan's also going to be there. And Nate. And Nate. And, and also Nate. Yeah. Um. Also hope. It's going to be interesting to see where that goes for also sure. Also hope. You know what? I'm interested kind of seeing in that because, like, you know, Scott, <laughs> Hope and Scott don't really get along. <laughs> um, not really. Um, so it'll be. Yeah. They don't, but the, yeah. It'll be interesting. Like, I think that entire situation will be interesting. So, uh, no, I, I trust. I trust Matt. I, I can't say the rest about it and about any of you because he did good by me. So I mean, I guess we'll run this by you now. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. Like I think that that's sort of the, the only emotion I have going into, 2019 Avengers books. Not Avengers. Oh my god, I'm so Are tired. You gonna be Sorry, it's Avengers like nine thirty. No, <laughs> no, I'm not. Actually, it's it's nine thirty. I am very tired. I'm so sorry. Into twenty nineteen X line, um, because like I just want because it's about the quiet moments, you know. Yeah. Like I want, I want more character development than I want explosions, and I like yeah. don't know yeah. why those are i mean god this is a world without the I... x-men so let's see how many quiet moments we can stack up yeah like i was so i know charlie and i talked about it at length but i just keep going back to the scene in extinction where like bloodstorm and scott were on a date and then like everything goes bad and like i know extinction I wish... had to happen but extermination i wish i liked bloodstorm yeah that's fair. I, I mostly just always felt really uncomfortable because Scott is a teen. Bloodstorm came off as very much not a teen. Yeah, yeah, that's I fair. Mean, but just comics, like I know, but yeah, like, but still, like the fact that it was like literally fridge someone to give him motivation to do stuff and not just yep. let him have a nice date was like, yep. yeah, yeah. Like any everyone so bad. Yeah, everybody's yeah. asked me what like like oh what did you like about extermination? I was like, well, there were some good drinks that were drawn good. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Fair. Shatterstar was there, and then he was a hound. Um, also upsetting. Um, that's not the first time that's happened. Something like that's happened to him. Um, and that's upsetting to me. Um, but oh wow, that panel is a feel. Sure is. It is a feels, yeah. Um, the the conversation about uh, Scott and Bloodstorm just wanting to have a nice date reminded me of another panel that's in issue 12 of Champions, which is, like, probably the most relatable Scott mood panel that I've ever seen. And it's, um, again, he's been hit with the feels box, so <laughs> he is having a bit of a panic attack and says... I can't goof. I'm not allowed to screw up. I can't make a single mistake ever. I can't let anybody down. If I do that, then what good am I? 
and it's yeah like it's so sad it is yeah it's it's really like i really think that the main feeling that i come away with from champions is how much i fucking hate charles xavier (laughs) because like watching all of the kids around him like react to that sentence is so sad because they just have these like looks of just horror on their faces because like they all shoulder a lot of responsibility like they all they're on this team together but like it's different for scott because the pressure isn't something that he's putting on himself like he is putting pressure on himself but the pressure has this external validator in yeah, Charles. like he and he has to become the leader of the x-men like he yeah. can run from that legacy but like that is his eventual future yeah and like and i think this is something that i don't think that wade handles really well in that scott's powers aren't something that he can control like the Wade tries to address that and like tries to have Scott talk about it but and I wonder if this is because Scott doesn't know but I don't think anyone thought that far in advance when writing the time displaced x-men like Scott can't control his powers because he has brain damage yeah like he's a disabled character and like that's a totally different ball game than like I'm nervous and I, when I'm nervous, I accidentally teleport or something. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and I think that until X comics, like choose to acknowledge that and choose and like deal with that and acknowledge that Scott is a disabled character. We will never fully get an understanding of who Scott is. And I think that like, even the Bendis run or him killing Xavier suddenly, like when you think about a lifelong, like having a lifelong trauma, particularly from telepaths and being brain damaged, like it just, I get so mad because people like don't ever want to acknowledge traumatic brain injuries in characters and like I think a lot of this comes also from the fact that I'm a huge fan of the Punisher TV show and like everyone just forgets that Frank Castle was shot in the head point blank yeah that (laughs) Um, happens yeah or like and really you could make this argument I think about any superhero character to a certain point because like they're all knocked around so much and like we all know that for example people who play football have traumatic brain injuries because of being tackled all the time but like we don't apply that same courtesy to our superheroes yeah yeah and i think like probably the thing that has like done the best job of that to me is like i didn't read the alias comics um but i read like some of the stuff that comes after it with jess and then like the that first season of jessica jones the tv show like really hit on some of that like trauma of being like a teen superhero and having and then like the process of growing up and like being traumatized um 
Like for the me first personally, of Jessica Jones is so good. The first season is so good. Like it's really there's one only of, ever one season of Jessica Jones. Much like every other Marvel show, there is only one season. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so it like that that. I think when he tries, like, Bendis can actually do a pretty good job of that. It's just, like, a lot of... I would agree. Because, like, I've read some of the Alias comics. I'm working my way through them right now. But, like, they... They definitely have a very similar energy to the first season of Jessica Jones. And I also think that Bendis' Daredevil run, while not explicitly tackling topics of trauma or mental illness in the way that, say, like, Wade's run on Daredevil does. We see Matt at one of his worst points in Bendis' run, and, like, if you're someone who is either familiar with Matt or familiar with mental illnesses that tend towards catastrophizing or being reckless as a maladaptive coping mechanism... Like, you can see that in him, and that's something that, like, is part of why I'm so drawn to Matt. But, like, I do do think that Bendis does a really good job of navigating trauma when he tries. And even when he doesn't try, like, it's better than most. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think he even does a decent job with Scott, at least in the... Scott and Emma, at least in the very beginning. I think it kind of, like, of the Bendis X-Men run. I think somewhere along the way it like lost that energy, if that makes any sense. But at well, least yeah, I mean, it makes sense because that's also like the X-Men run is like as Bendis is being shoved out of Marvel too. So that doesn't help, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it it absolutely like does not. And like you can see that like there are failings at the end of that book just because like it suffers from so much of so much of what happens when like like you started on you start you start a, a run and then like a year like a year and some change later they tell you that like oh secret wars is happening everything's going to blow up like come yep. on yeah. yeah so i mean and like as much as i love secret wars the fact that it disrupted like literally every ongoing marvel had and just totally tore it apart not great yeah is that not the spirit of secret wars though i mean yeah, it is but I'll, yeah. I'll argue that the thing that really derailed uh uncanny uh, x-men was axis um but that's a whole yeah. different oh, for another time yeah um i don't know that i can ever talk about i i had an editorial that i was working on at one point about why axis is terrible and it just sits in my google docs and reminds me about axis sometimes yeah 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 so yeah. we're gonna leave that one uh alone um for right now yeah i'm just gonna put axis in a box and never touch it we're again. not gonna talk about we're not gonna talk about what recommender did to alex summers um and we're just gonna leave it leave it alone um yeah right now we're just gonna we're just gonna pretend that I mean, it alex never and magneto and yeah anyway oh. anyway um <laughs> Uh. <laughs> groaning uh yep, the end of the podcast a, that's axis noise yeah the end of the podcast brought to you by groaning um <laughs> but 
Um, thank you for sharing all your thoughts, Reed, because um, I know that that's really important to you. And I, I was like listening to people talk about what they enjoy um, quite a bit. Thank you, because I feel like I cannot say words ever when people ask me to talk about no, things. It, no, you. Uh, I mean, I thought you did a good job. <laughs> Thanks. Um, sometimes I have a hard time articulating myself, too, about certain situations. Sometimes I end up saying it's very good a lot. Or I yeah. end up with it's valid. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, I I said land breaking, land- so you know I'm no one to talk. Mikey, really, I knew what you meant, so it's fine. I know we we made it through. We survived this experience. Uh, yeah, we sure did. Um, but uh, I think I think as far as champions is concerned, I think maybe give it a read. Um, like if you care about Cyclops and if you care about like these characters in the capacity in which, or you know they're operating in this moment in time crystalline in 2016 also i i do think it's interesting like now i'm definitely gonna be especially because um i think you said read um when we spoke privately off recording um that they're like exploring viv a little bit more like later on yes um Um, you should finish the uh, Weird World story because it ends with uh, Viv and Riri kissing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I definitely need to catch up on that. But, like, I think it's interesting that Viv is, like, an LGBT character that is discovering that, like, post-traumatic events in their life rather than mm-hmm. the opposite of... Uh, being just an LGBT character that comes into the world fully formed and knowing their identity hey, hey, and then has bad things happen to them. You want to know if something funny? Um, <laughs> I think I really, like, I was like, yeah, like, I think Viv is the character that I most, like, enjoy in this comic book um, because Viv Vision reminds me a lot about a lot of um, Shatterstar and early X-Force. <laughs> <laughs> Also a character that had traumatic events and then discovered their identity. Yes. (laughs) Well, and like, I, I will acknowledge that I think a lot of, a lot of people I know have criticism of the fact, like, it's always the robot that's queer or whatever, but like. Robots are valid. First of all, robots are valid. Second of all. There is an arc where Viv gets turned into a human again, and it's it's really interesting. Um, and I also, as someone that has recently started transitioning, like the best way that I refer to myself is that I'm in dev mode. <laughs> so, like, I appreciate yeah. the robot metaphor. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think the fact that she is like locked away. Honestly, like I think the way the 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 concept of her having locked away like her emotions and like traumatic memories is probably something that a lot of folks can um sympathize with or mm-hmm. like even if it's not explicit representation of different like like modalities or like different types of people that are human or like different ways of thinking about emotions like i think you can certainly like look at that and say like you know as a trauma survivor or you know like various other things like 
I don't, I don't want to like make inferences um, because I can only speak as a survivor, but like that might be something that folks can find representation in or, you know, sympathize in. Yeah, I can, I would totally second that recommendation, like as a trauma, su- trauma, that's a word. <laughs> as a trauma survivor, like it's, I think the thing with champions is that I, I constantly feel like I'm in a conversation with my younger self when I read mm-hmm. them because it's very like, I, I can see myself and each of the characters at different points in my life. And like, I gravitate towards Scott because like Scott is consistent, re- consistently relatable and still relatable. But like Viv reminds me a lot of myself, like when I was a teen, you know? And so yeah. I think that that's, it's interesting and it's good and I'm glad that it exists for people who are teens right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Again, it's like one of those things where in a perfect world, we would have a variety of LGBT teens that were and were not aliens or robot people. <laughs> and But this you is know, the world we live in. And yeah, this, this is, is the world we, we live in. And if you sympathize or like find facets of your identity in Viv like being a synthetic humanoid then that's like valid like I find representation and like can sympathize with like Zavin and Teddy Altman because like they're aliens and they're grappling with you know having to express themselves as something different and something like nor and and having to fit into the quote unquote like normal human world at the same time like and that's absolutely can be read as like a queer metaphor yeah yeah no yeah yeah people you know kind of embracing like queer monstrosity is like totally valid in a thing so yeah you know yeah. it's not it's not all bad yeah it absolutely is like something like super important and something like important to remember that people exist outside of like especially important for like people in fandom and people looking for saying that they're looking for representation but what they're really looking for is like someone they can fit into a box very easily um which is my constant problem with people who shout about wanting something but then like don't actively seek out the thing that they're wanting that exists somewhere um but that's a yeah what i think with queer representation too like queer representation is so hard because it is such like all representation is this but i think that queer representation especially is the polar opposite of one size fits all and like i think that a lot of people want their specific queer rep to be all the queer rep and like that doesn't work for everyone yeah like i want both very happy like can't we just have nice things queer rep but i also want like sad grim dark lonely boys who come to understand what feelings are and come to understand themselves like i want those to coexist or like and i want i want those things also for characters who aren't white and I want those things for characters who aren't white and intersections with like those identities from people that get them. So like, yeah, that, that's, that's my ideal. Yeah. And yeah, and it's, you know, it, and, and 
all kinds of people having representation well, queer and representation to the um ironheart series that's being written will also explore her sexuality as well because champions and ironheart are coming out at the same time and like i do really trust um eve ewing who is writing ironheart to hopefully do that yeah so like you know keep that in mind too that as we go forward with champions there's also an iron heart solo and hopefully we will find representation that's not just robots and not just white people absolutely no this i i'm i'm very it's it's interesting because this is like this was just like two years ago but looking back is so weird because even like god it feels like 10 years ago i know like even not not only in like things that have happened but even like where we're at in comics and like don't get me wrong like there's still the comics industry still has a lot of problems but i am so there's a new wave of people that are getting to write like comics in like big name comics yeah that are like just to be frank like people that never would have been seen writing comics like two or three or five yeah vita oh my god vita is like the fucking best like vita Vita is absolutely my 100 percent favorite writer in comic books right now and i'm so glad that they get to write xena and all these amazing awesome things and then like we got queen of bad dreams from danny lore like was just announced today which looks fucking rad it's like a dream a person that like slays nightmares in like this surreal like future city it like it sounds so good it sounds and- like everything i wanted sandman to be but wasn't <laughs> <laughs> oh wow yeah yep like <laughs> yeah and i'll just i'll just be over here laying on the ground till the day before valentine's day <laughs> so <laughs> continually just i'm just that's where i am continually um Man. But yeah, no, like it, I I I think it's interesting like looking back like 2 years ago and then like looking to the future to all the things that are coming out and being like there you know, this is where we were at 2 years ago, but we talked well, even just like looking at who's writing these characters now versus 2 <laughs> years yeah. ago. Like we have Miles and Kamala being written by uh Saladin Ahmed. We have I don't Viv had a mini sort of but also Cassandra Kane has is her name Cassandra Kane? I can't even something remember. Something like that. Something Chelsea? like that. Has proven herself to Chelsea? Chelsea yeah. Kane. Yes. Chelsea Kane has proven herself to be a uh, quite turkey. Yes. So oh, yes. Uh she's your favorite into my very yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and, like, I still can't believe that Eve Ewing is writing Ironheart. Like, I have been aware of Eve Ewing's work for a while, like, as an academic. And so seeing her put her toes into comics is really cool. Um, obviously, we talked about Vita, but also, like, I feel like we have to talk about Leah Williams. Oh, yes. My personal, who, my personal savior. Ewing. Yeah, Leah Williams, <laughs> who is come to lift us all up (laughs) well and then like um i can't remember if she's still 
writing um, Shuri, but she was for a while. I think um, Nettie um, Oka- yes, yeah. Okorafor, I think is how you pronounce her name. Um, but she was writing Shuri. She was writing Shuri. Roxanne Gay wrote Women of Wakanda. Like, Yeah, no, it's... Again, like, and and the thing is, the thing that's great about some of the folks that are starting to write comics is these are also people, people of color, people of marginalized identities that have um, audiences outside of comics. So because historically, I think the issue has been, especially with Marvel, is editors pushing people around and not paying them what they're worth. And I think with people, especially like when there's not that power dynamic of like, we're making you, it's like, no, like people already knew us. We already had an audience before we came into comics. Like you're getting us to get new audiences that reduces that um, concern a little bit. So I'm hopeful that this just continues to open up comics and especially like big publisher comics because as much as i hate capitalism like there's something to be said for having like a big audience and and big books and being writing them in terms of sales yeah and we're all fans so everybody wants to put their hands on these characters it's not let's yeah let's not yeah. let's not get ourselves um well and yeah. i think too the, the other thing is is like you know we can be anti-capitalist and we can also say that people deserve to get paid (laughs) um yes and like just as a maybe like a final note um the other thing is that if people are looking for uh queer women of color please read roxanne gay's women of wakanda because um it will totally change how you feel about um okoye in the black panther film because she's a lesbian she's like a really big lesbian in in women of wakanda well, and there you um, go. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But don't take Reed's word for it. Um yeah. <laughs> was that one was that like a, a throwback to like reading Rainbow Child? Yeah, it was. <laughs> Who do you think I am? Fair. God, I just had the vision of like a comic book reading Rainbow and my heart felt very full. <laughs> I mean, could totally would totally um i mean mika burton is a huge nerd as is her dad so i'm sure if you know if lavar burton or somebody at marvel went to lavar burton and mika burton said hey can we make comic book reading rainbow i'm sure someone would get that going yeah um very true but on that note i think that's uh that's a um that's a a thumbs kind of up for some of champions and maybe a little bit down on other I think we had a good conversation yes. about champions. Yeah, yes. I, yeah, I would, I would wholeheartedly recommend champions. It's just you have to be aware that it's not perfect, as as so much in our lives. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but on that note, Reed, why don't you tell us where people can find you on the internet? Um, yeah, I am. I hang around on the internet at. Um, AR must die on Twitter and um in other places with that same handle because hashtag consistency yeah. or brands and yeah. no 
I actually, I had a whole, I don't like referring to myself as a brand because it like removes me from my, from myself. And I think that like, we would all be better if we Understandable. tried to totally fair. remember that we were people and not products. Um, fair. But, uh, and I also give my weekly comic recommendations over at, uh, at it's the poll on Twitter or, um, I believe it's thepoll.substack.com. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Please don't tell me that I was too mean to Mark Wade. Uh yeah, don't nobody at Reed or I will come and fight you with my swords. Um Yeah, you don't want Charlie to fight you with their swords. Yeah. Um speaking of which, um everybody <laughs> I'm actually everybody should know. You can find me on the internet on Twitter specifically at Genetic Ghost, where I tweet where I just tweet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Twelve to the Charlie. Yes, um exactly exactly. <laughs> um where I tweet about things and uh it's mostly today was a lot of screaming. I scrum I sc- I screamed a lot. I screamed a lot today. Um <laughs> I scrummed. I scrummed. No, a scrum is a different thing. Um yes but um i i bring you some fresh fresh opinions about things and also um i do some dabbling and writing reviews um for certain outlets and i'll let you know when you can find those also mike and i have a cookbook it's called the guide to exceptional baking you may have heard of it um you can find a link to that on my Twitter, it's my pinned tweet. If you'd like a PDF, gum.co slash X Men Baking Zine. Yes. Um, you can purchase one of those bad boys for $15. Um, it's worth every single penny. It's real pretty. It's, real good. it's a real pretty book. Um, and soon, hopefully, maybe you'd be able to buy a physical copy. Um, but other than that, where can people find you, Mikey? You can find me on twitter.com at quantum.dot where I tweet about the things that I'm doing, which includes tabletop role-playing design and video game streaming. I'm like 60% through a playthrough of the game Vampire, which has unexpectedly become a vampire soap opera um, about privilege. Unexpectedly? Uh, Listen, listen, (laughs) this is like if days of our lives were about oppression, fascism, and marginalization that would but with vampires that's what vampire is and i did not expect it to go as far into some of these topics as i did there was an npc that straight up told me one day um (laughs) that i my like my privilege sucked and that i didn't understand the plight of poor people and i never could because i didn't come from where they came from which i was like cheering the entire time it was such a good moment that Um, npc was me (laughs) (laughs) that was just read um it, it gets a little bit serious at times so like i have some like content warnings on the streams just because and try to warn people when suicide comes up or like alcoholism but it it tries it it does again like i know we've been talking about it this this episode but i give a lot of leeway to media that tries to tackle issues even if it doesn't always hit the mark but like vampire hits the mark more times than it doesn't and and i've really enjoyed it there's also a queer couple in that game that's like fuck everybody fuck the queen fuck his majesty the king like nobody cares about us and we're going to be gay no matter what um 
Sounds like me. And um. yeah, no, it, it's really good, actually, um, except for the combat, which is kind of janky sometimes. Um, but you can find that at twitch.tv slash quantum dot. If that sounds like your your thing, I'm streaming that Monday and Friday evenings. Um, but you can always catch the videos on demand. Um, and I'll be working on some different freelance role playing projects that I can't quite announce yet. Um, but that that's exciting. So yeah, um, hopefully maybe another project for me soon. Um, I had this very striking idea for a um, for a comic come to me um, based on my own uh, bizarre situations um, <laughs> um, that happened to me um, because I think I actually am a mutant and I just like make liminal spaces um, around me in general. Some very bizarre things happen. Valid. It's the bioelectric energy. It is. It, it, <laughs> it might be. Um, um, but hopefully, I also want to think. I think about doing it. Maybe maybe do it a calendar at some point um we'll see yeah there's been talk of a calendar Calendars but yeah um <laughs> um what's the what's the champion sign off we don't have a sign off read um oh okay the champion sign off uh, I, I mean unless you want to unless you have another you idea have for how you want to yeah, sign off this podcast i definitely don't have a sign off but i can find something for us to do here <laughs> <laughs> is it like champions away or like it's Something it's really definitely cheesy. not. Are you, are you sure it's not, not champions away? <laughs> it's it might be. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm gonna say that our sign off should definitely be please don't champions away. <laughs> All right, Valid. you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> folks, um, please don't, <laughs> Mikey. We need to go. To please sleep. don't champ. <laughs> please don't we champions away. Valid. <laughs> All right, everybody. Bye, Bye. everybody. Bye. Bye. I just got a coupon on Steam for Strange Telephone. I don't know what makes the telephone strange. Is that a game? Is it Doctor Strange's telephone? I guess. I wouldn't pick that up. <laughs> I would not pick it up. No, no. bad.